Okay, I need to jump in here today. I got a lot to cover because Matt and Leslie and all of them put all this stuff on me that I have to do. Okay? <laughs> I told Matt, he reminded me, he said, Pastor, will you, will you please introduce yourself? I said, okay, I'm Clark Whitten. I'm the founding pastor of the church. I retired uh, several years ago, but still uh, do some, and obviously I'm involved uh, as an elder of the church and uh, with the staff and meet with them regularly and still involved, but they do the work. I don't do anything. Uh, perfect setup, man. I get, <laughs> I get glory and they do the work. Uh, but for any of you that are new here today, this series that we started uh, last week with Rick, that Rick started, uh, welcome all you online too that watch. Uh, we appreciate uh, you, uh, the hunger of your heart to, to know and to learn and to receive. And so thank you and welcome to the service. Um, I was talking about Rick. And as we were planning this, uh, the title it was Growing in Grace. And I said, I don't know where to start in this if you don't start with the love of God. And I said, Rick, that's your bailiwick. And he did last week. God, so good what he did and the... Uh, the conclusions he came to were just uh, excellent. I, I, and uh, so I pretty much wrote a book on the fundamentals, as I saw it, of grace, of helping people get started in understanding grace and uh, developing uh, a heart for it and a heart for God and some changes that need to be made in the way we think in order to receive the love of God and what God has done. And so I said, I'll just do, I said, to me, I, I want to just share with them a few life-changing words, individual words, that started way back there in my, in my thinking, I don't know, in, in the, in the mid-80s, that started a process of uh, my mind recovering from religion. Okay? These key little words that changed everything about my perspective in time. It took time, but piece by piece, bit by bit, all these things began to come together and make rational sense to me where religion never did. So that's what I want to share with you today. It's just some of these key words in Scripture that have been mistranslated and misappropriated from their original intent and meaning. Now, the first word that I want to talk about is the word confess or confession. The Greek word is homologeo, which means same word, essentially. You come to the same conclusion as. You see things as. You agree with, you accept, receive, confess. There's really only five mentions of confession in the New Testament, of, of the use of that word. The first one's in Matthew 3, 6. It's talking about John the Baptist and his preaching. He said his message was, confess your sins and be baptized. That's going to change your perspective in a little bit when I get to the word sin. Okay, but remember it. Confess your sins and be baptized. Obviously, this is pre-New Covenant. He was setting up the, the forerunner of Jesus, and, and not only Jesus' message, but his life, burial, death, and resurrection, and all that happened there. Uh, he was the forerunner, John the Baptist. Confess your sins for repentance. 
Second is Matthew 10, 32. Jesus said, confess me before men. Romans 10, 9 and 10 say, confess Jesus as Lord. Agree with the fact that he's Lord. Come into agreement with. Say the same thing. You come into agreement. Jesus is Lord. James 5, 16 says, confess your sins one to another. Now, as, as prominent as the term confess is, in most uh, biblical sort of biblical theological systems. It's very prominent. And it's always tied, confess, when I say confess, your mind immediately goes to what? Confess what? Sin. sin. Confess sin. Confess sin. It seems like confess and sin are inextricably tied together. Confess sin. But confess is a big word. And it covers a lot of ground. You confess Jesus is Lord. You confess God is good. You confess you agree with. You, God is love. These are the confessions that we all need to be making. But we don't need to waste our time confessing sin. Because there's not a single, not one single verse in the New Testament that requires for a believer to confess their sins for forgiveness. Not a single one. The only place that that appears at all is in 1 John 1, 9. And we've been over that. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just or, or, or righteous to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that is a verse for an unbeliever to come into belief, to understand. I must confess that I'm a, quote, sinner. I fall short. I have. Everybody else has. And I need to come in an understanding of that to, to even have an idea that I need a Savior. Right? Okay. That the verse for the Christian or the believer isn't 1 John 1, 9. It's, it's 1 John 2, 1 and 2, two verses later. I write these things to you, my little children, that you might not sin, but I want you to know that if you do, you have an advocate with the Father, Christ Jesus, the righteous one. That's for us. No mention of confession. That started to change in my thinking. I thought, well... What I've believed in the past about this is just flat out wrong. It's not true. It doesn't add up. Okay, I'm going to go through these pretty quickly. There's a lot to say about all of them. And every time I hear a song up here, I want to preach on it. <laughs> Sitting down there, and I love songs. I want to preach on that right now. You know, my mind's skittering around here. Okay, second, second word is repentance or repent. Metanoia. Metanoia. Meta change, noia, gnosis, knowledge, change your mind, change your mind. Rethink, reevaluate. In light of new information, think again, rethink what you think. Come back, rethink it, and change your mind. Adjust your thinking to truth, not the other way around. Don't try to adjust truth into your thinking. So we change our minds. Repentance has nothing to do with remorse. It has nothing to do with coming down every week, confessing and, quote, being sorry for your sins and slinging snot all over the floor and doing it over and over and over and over and over again. That, that is a, a, a law-based, performance-based, fear-based, shame-based system that keeps you in bondage all of your life. Now, some of you didn't do that, but you felt like doing it a lot of times, didn't you? 
Okay, metanoia, repent, repentance. Uh, There's several people I've studied over the years, primarily the ones I knew about in, in their, uh, they were great teachers, preachers, uh, commentators, writers, uh, these guys, thinkers, uh, one of one such man is a man by the name of Broadus. He was probably lived in the 1800s. He, he did a whole set of commentaries. He's a very prominent guy in his day. He said that this word, translated repentance in English, is the worst translated word in the New Testament. Now here's the problem with it. This is where it came about. The English term repent comes from the Latin word reponitet. Not from the Greek word metanoia. Now, the Latin Vulgate, which is in Latin, obviously, says turn. No, no. It says uh, be sorry again. Feel sorry again. That's the way they translate that, the Eng- that we put into English. To be sorry again. From reponitet. The Old English translates it turn ye. Turn ye. The old definition of repent is to feel sorry about your sin, turn from it, and turn to God in the hopes that you won't ever do it again. Turn. Turn your back on it. Turn away. Turn ye. And feel sorry about it. You have to have proper remorse in order to trigger the forgiveness of God. That's basically what's taught. Uh, If not outwardly, then behind the scenes and in the atmosphere, it's there. I know. I've been there. I know. Okay. A.T. Robertson, who is another... In fact, he's a Baptist. (laughs) He says... This word, metanoia, translated in English, into English, repent. He said, this was John's great word, and it has been hopelessly mistranslated. Hopelessly mistranslated. It means to change your mind. It's a matter of how you think. That's what it means. Uh, I don't know how much more to go on this. I've got a lot to cover. Okay, let's go to conviction. By the way, if you don't have a habit of repenting, quote, if you don't have a habit of metanoying, you're stuck. You're stuck where you are. You can't grow. You can't grow. If you're stuck where you are, you can't grow. So this understanding this word helps you become unstuck. Repent. Change your mind. Receive something new. Go forward. Now these terms... 
represent concepts, represent a way of thinking that are, so, that are so deeply ingrained in the minds and the thinking of the vast majority of Protestant Christians and Catholic Christians, I, I, all, all of them, so deeply ingrained until to think differently is mind-blowing to them. And I get it. <laughs> If you're not fairly regular, getting your own mind blown at the great gospel of grace, the goodness of God, then you need a good blowing. You, you, need, you need it blown. Uh, the, the good news keeps getting better, folks. The more you discover, the better it is. It gets, as Rick says, gooder and gooder all the time. It does. It, it just does. I, I, I can testify to you. You're going to have to repent or change your mind in order to move forward. Now, where you are is fine. I, I'm not upset with you. I'm just wanting you to consider some things. That's all. You don't even have to agree. I, 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 I think for yourself. Metanoia. Change your mind. Doesn't have anything to do with remorse. Now, there is a word for remorse, a Greek word, and that's metamelami, which is used of Judas. In Matthew 27, when he betrayed Jesus, he felt remorse. Remember, he threw the coins down and all that? Metamelami, feel remorse, not metanoia. So, let's look at the word conviction. <laughs> Does that have a negative or positive connotation to you when I say convict or conviction? Negative, right? Yeah. Uh, and, again, it's tied to a other term called what? Convict, convict of what? Sin again. You've got to confess it. When you feel convicted of your sin, you've got to confess it in order to be forgiven. That's the basic line. To keep you in line, to keep you, you know, from being, not sinning too much. <laughs> not doing the big ones anyway. Just, you know, you can get by with the little ones, not the big ones. Stay away from the big ones, you're, you're okay. A lot of freedom and liberty and joy in that, isn't there? Anyway, uh, conviction. The Greek word is alinko. Alinko, alinko. And from what you hear, uh, again, this is another term that you'd think that the Holy Spirit's primary ministry in earth is to convict people of their sin. His primary ministry. Uh, it's not. It's not. Okay? It's just not. And by the way, it also... Holy Spirit would empower you to keep the basic tenets of the law when the Spirit comes. He'll help you keep, you know, the, base, the basics of the law anyway. Empowers you to be good and so forth. <clears throat> now, somebody can get really upset with you if they're in the sin management business, behavior modification business, they're going to get upset with you for taking this from their arsenal because it is a primary weapon in their war against you sinning. 
Because the primary purpose of all this is to get you cleaned up and you acting right before you go to heaven. That's what it's about. So you don't bring disgrace on Jesus or the church or the good name of the Lord or, or whatever. You, you won't want to turn that loose. And you'd think that since that's the primary ministry of the Holy Spirit to convict us of sin, that there, there, there has to be verses all over the New Testament that talk about this, right? Has to be. Convict of sin. You know how many there are? Zilch. Zero. Absolutely none. None. Zero. That was born in the mind of men, not in the scriptures, not in the mind of God, not in the heart of God. There are no verses that says the Holy Spirit convicts of sin. Look in John 16 for just a second. I think this is on, your, on the screen, if I included it. Maybe I didn't, I don't know. Okay, here we go. This is when the Holy Spirit came, Jesus sending the Spirit. Now, I'm going to him who sent me, and none of you asked me where I'm going, because you said these things to, I said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. But I'll tell you the truth, it's to your advantage I go away. As a matter of fact, Lauren read some of this and amplified. For if I do not go away, the helper shall not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he's going to do some things. He's going to, he's going to convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin because they don't believe me. So this, quote, conviction or convincing of the fact that you fall short and you have fallen short of the goal of perfection which is set before you. You fall short. Everybody has, everybody does. And we're, again, I'm going to cover some of this when I talk about sin. For all have sinned, Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. They've missed the mark. We've missed the mark of the glory of God or the perfection of God. All of us have missed the mark. That's, that's what he came to convict the world of because they don't believe. I want to convince you that you need help. You need a Savior. Okay? We're talking about the world. There's no mention of convicting a believer of sin. When he comes, he'll convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin because they don't believe in me. So I have to, he's going to convince them. They don't believe in me. Concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you no longer behold me. So we'd be convinced of righteousness even in his absence here in the flesh. Now look at verse 11. And concerning judgment because the ruler of this world has been judged. So he came to convince of judgment to whom? The ruler of this world, the devil himself. That's his ministry. He's going to bring to our minds. He becomes our teacher. It says that. He brings to our memory everything that Jesus said. He leads us into all the truth. That's the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the convincing us about everything. About the reality of Jesus and all he accomplished. He doesn't convict. He convinces us. Leads us, is with us, teaches us. That's what he does. And it's positive, folks, it's not negative. Okay, let's talk about the last two words. I'm going to spend the most time on these. 
Good grief, is it already that late? No, 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 no. No, no it's not, it's not, I misread, misread. <laughs> okay, let's look at the word sin. The Greek word is hamartia, hamartia. As I said, it means to miss the mark or to fall short. That's what it means. Miss the mark or fall short. You're missing the target, the bullseye. Always falling short. All have sinned, fall short of the glory of God. All have fallen short of the glory of God and missed the mark. You agree with that? Do you agree that we all, and still would, fall short and miss the mark? Right? I am, but he's not. See, he didn't miss the mark. I did and do. He doesn't and didn't. He hit the mark for us, folks. And when he hit the mark for us, which he fulfilled the law, kept it in every aspect, fulfilled it to God's, to, to the Father's uh, certain uh, uh, satisfaction, fulfilled the law. He came to fulfill it. Did he, did he fulfill it? Yeah, he did what he came to do. He accomplished what he came to accomplish. So he hit the mark. And in the hitting of that mark, he removed the mark. There is no mark, folks. There's no mark to fall short of anymore. It's gone. What is the mark? Perfection according to the law. That's what it means. There's no mark anymore. You can't fall short because there's nothing to fall short of. <laughs> I'm, I'm just saying that's, that's the truth. Miss the mark. Fall short of the mark of the prize of the high calling of God. It's, it's, he's... He removed the mark. Amartya, sin, falling short. Okay, did or did not Jesus take all the sins of the world upon himself? Yes. Behold the Lamb of God, who what? Takes away the sin of whom? The world. The world. We're not talking about, it, 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 it means everyone, people. Second Corinthians 5, he reconciled the world, I'll get to that in a minute, to himself. He took the sins of the world, he became sin for us. Who's us? Everybody. Everyone. Believers, unbelievers, or otherwise. He took them all, there's none left. All of them, all of them, all of them. He, de he, he destroyed and did away with the system itself. Why do we talk about it all the time? Why do we even use the word? If there's sins and lawless deeds, he remembers no more. Then why do we remember? Why do we talk about this all the time? I mean, why do people talk about sin all the time? It's not a word that really ought to come up in our, in our vocabulary, honestly. You can have bad behavior, yes. You can be a jerk, yes. You can make stupid decisions that cost you a lot. You, you can be a, a, a jerk. You can even act evil. 
And that needs to be corrected in you. It really does. Let the Holy Spirit lead you and begin the correction process of that as you come to believe and understand the power of God through His love. Yes, yes, yes. There are people that need to straighten up the way they act. Absolutely. I can also tell you that God's not holding it against them because they don't exist anymore. Jesus took care of all of it for everybody. Or He took care of none of it for any of us. Now get to thinking like this, folks. Now here's what happened. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. 2 Corinthians 5, okay? Reconcile. Reconcile means to bring into favor. God brought the, the world into his favor. Jesus reconciled the world, brought into favor the world before God. The world. All of the ones that have passed before us, all the ones that are alive today, and all the ones that will live after us have been reconciled to God, brought into favor by God. They just don't know it or don't believe it or reject it or could care less about it. But they are. They are. They have been brought into favor before God by Jesus. That's how thorough and radical and complete his work was when it was finished. He did it all. He left zero to you and zero to me outside of acknowledging the fact that we need to believe it in order for it to be effective in our lives at all. He took care of all of them, or he didn't take care of any of them. He took care of that guy's, or he didn't take care of mine. If he didn't take care of his, he didn't take care of mine. If he didn't take care of Jim's, he didn't take care of Glenda. She may be a better person than he is. I don't know. I just, you know, probably, maybe not. Who knows? <laughs> but they both stand before God, not only forgiven, but cleansed. They stand before God, holy and righteous. He made them like that. So, here's what happened. I'm talking about sin here, hamartia. What happened? Okay. The world had been reconciled to God. But that world still needs to be saved. I'm going to talk about saved in a minute. The world still needs to be saved. Saved, sozo, means to be made whole or complete. It does, listen, stop associating saved with going to heaven and not going to hell, okay? Stop associating it there in, the, in that way. This is just for your consideration, okay? For example, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So, when, the, when you... First of all, you're going to have to talk about God so loved the what? The world. the world. How much did he love the world? Does he love the world? With perfect love. He's perfect love. He loves the world perfectly. He loves these people. He loves them all. He loves them all. He loves them all as much as he loves me or you. He loves them all the same way. Pure love loves everyone. Amen. Everyone. 
And pure love has the power to change a human heart. Don't you think so? Don't you think that pure love can work on somebody's heart better than you can? Pure love treats people differently than, than we do. Pure love does things that we can't do. Pure love sees things in a way we have difficulty seeing. Pure love is beyond us. It's greater than we're capable of exhibiting or knowing or feeling even. It's powerful. Let it work. Let it do its work because love never fails. God never fails. Love never fails. Love wins, folks. Love will win. Love will win. As surely as God will win, love will win because God is love. They still need to be saved. The world still needs to be saved by faith. What does that mean? Made whole, complete, by faith. It's this faith in the work of Christ that allows us to have our minds changed to the point where we can see truth. You've been made whole. You've been made complete. You've got to believe it for it to make any sense to you or to have any impact on your life. This world still needs to be saved by faith. We all needed saving. We all still need saving. Being made complete, whole or complete. Be made whole or complete. What he doesn't say in 1 John, he says they perish, but that doesn't, he does not say they will die and burn forever in hell if they don't. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say that. You're reading it into it. it doesn't, perish doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean you dying and going to hell. That's not what the term means. That's not what the intent of that term was. You perish. People perish for a lack of what? Knowledge? You've heard that term, right? People perish for lack of knowledge. Yes, we perish when we don't know. There's a debilitation of our life that goes on. A... a, a uh, 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 a diminishing of his life, a diminishing of your life. There's loss in not knowing. There's loss in not believing. Yes. So we need to be saved. We need to be made complete, made whole. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be what? Made complete, made whole. That believing part is what does that. It's the work of, of the Spirit in you and you changing your mind to a different way of viewing everything almost. That's what saves you. That's what saves us all. Again, there's none of those verses that say you're saved from hell and you get to go to heaven. Take that off the table for a while, will you? And see this in a different way. That makes something happen to you. It makes... It makes the gospel it makes the gospel less about heaven and more about earth. What happens to you here on earth and what I'm not saying it's devoid of heaven, I'm just saying it. The emphasis here is on us now. And by the way, there's verse 17 that follows 16 too. 
For God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world. Well, does He condemn the world? Apparently He doesn't. He sent His Son into the world. Did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but but that the world through Him might be sozo, made whole or complete. The world might be made whole and complete. No mention there's no mention of there. It's all mentioned about here, in this, in the, at least in this, that passage of Scripture. Made whole and complete. That's what sozo means, saved. Confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, that God raised Christ from the dead, and you shall be sozo. You shall be made whole and complete. You understand that he- what heaven really is? Heaven's just life with God. Life in union with God. Life in union with God. For eternity. That's what it is. Streets of gold and all that stuff are just mental pictures that were painted by writers. They they couldn't explain all this stuff. It's It's unexplainable. Nobody knows what life in union with God is when we get rid of this earthly body. Nobody knows that. I know it's going to be pretty dang good. I know that. It already is. It already is. To me, whole or complete. Okay, here's what happened on the cross. Talking about sin now. Here's what happened on the cross. In, in, in Christ's death, burial, and resurrection it was a demarcation, a historical demarcation. Everything changed after this. You understand? Everything changed. Everything changed. He changed everything. The new covenant was initiated at his resurrection. Wasn't fully apprehended for a while, but it got there pretty quickly. The new covenant came into being. What happened to the old one? At the cross. He dealt the old one a blow. What happened to it? It said, the old has passed away. The old has passed away. The new has come. The old has passed away. The old is gone. The old system is gone. No one is under the Mosaic law any longer, including all the Jews. Gentiles never were. So, it's gone. It does not exist. Can Can you get it that way? You say, well, the Ten Commandments still exist. Yeah, I mean, they're still in there, yes. But as a rule over your life and the keeping of them gets you favor with God, it doesn't exist anymore. It just doesn't exist, all right? There's a new way of doing things, brand new way. You, that's why he says, repent, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus, in front of the people, said his first public message, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Why? Why do I need to change my mind? Because everything is different. <laughs> Okay, on the cross, the law was eradicated, okay? Paul said in Romans, he said, where there is no law, sin is what? Where there is no law, sin is dead. Where there is no law, sin is dead. Where there is no law... Is there law? Uh, the old covenant law, does it still have any jurisdiction over anybody? No? 
Where there is no law, sin is dead. Sin is dead. Sin is dead. Missing the mark and falling short is dead. Has no power over us. It's dead. Stop talking about it, okay? I got to where I don't talk about it anymore. I don't use that term. Very, very rarely. Unless I'm kidding around. I don't, I don't use that term seriously at all. And you know what started happening to me when I stopped doing that? I stopped seeing everybody else around me and the people I hang out with, who some of whom are sort of believing a little bit, some of them don't, some of them don't know, some of them don't care, some of them are this way and that way. I stopped seeing everybody around me, even when I walk into my neighborhood and I see strangers. I don't see them as big sinners anymore. I don't see them that way. I see him as loved. I see him as forgiven. And I see him as ignorant of that knowledge and that fact. And if they weren't, it would make a difference in their life. That's the way I see him. So we preach, listen. We preach the good news, the gospel. The only gospel is the good news gospel. It's the only one. All others are fakes. All of them are all. All of them are fake gospels. If they have mixture in them, they're fake gospel. It is not the gospel. The gospel is extremely, radically, unbelievably almost good news to everybody that understands it and sees it. And it gets, gets better and better. I don't see them that way anymore. Therefore, I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm at liberty to love them. Like God loves them, or try to at least, in, in the way they are. Me, Martha, and I used to, when we finally fully and wholly eradicated Sunday night services, which I hate Sunday night worship services. <laughs> I hated going. I hated teaching. I was tired. I was irritable. And I didn't want to see anybody. I hated Sunday night. So finally, got up the gumption every church I was in. We're not doing Sunday night anymore. I don't care if all of you leave. The fact of the matter is, it looks to me like y'all don't want to come either because there are only a handful of you that do. But you want me to be there and do it just in case one of your friends wants to go or something like that. <laughs> I remember walking around on Sunday night, Martin and I go for a walk, and we'd both look around feeling guilty. What are people thinking about us not being in church on Sunday night? And I think, oh God, what bondage that is. Wednesday night, too. <laughs> Used to go to church every dead gum day nearly. <laughs> and you see you drive to church and see all the cars and the garage and the people sleeping in and all that stuff. those poor suckers you know they just they're not either they are loved by pure love they are forgiven their sins are not being held against them they're falling shortedness. Jesus took care of that. They just don't know. And a lot of them won't believe, even if they do know. But he's not now. But I see them differently. Okay, so let's quit, let's quit talking about sin. All right? 
I don't want to talk about it anymore. I can walk up to you and tell you you're a sinner. I can walk up to you and say, you know, you were dumb. <laughs> but it wasn't a sin. I'm, I'm, I'm holding it against you, but God isn't. <laughs> or whatever. Uh, Matt would go nuts if he saw all this stuff I got up here. This is the way I prepare for a message, all these little jots and tittles and things like that. And I don't even have them organized hardly. I just know that when you push my button, stuff's going to start coming out. Okay, I'm going to end with this, folks. I want you to put this quote that I asked to put it up here, and let's read this together. This is by Jamie Englehart. He's somebody that I read, I read and uh, converse with sometimes. Uh, really, a, uh, really a, a very, very solid Christian historian, a biblical historian, biblical, uh, uh, I'd call him a scholar. And uh, one of the most thoughtfully approaching all the stuff that I talk about and others talk about. He recently did a, a pretty long thing about, okay, here's, some, here's the basics of what I believe. Some of y'all want to, uh, always ask me that. So this is what he did. And, and this is just a little portion of it, okay? But it has something in it that I want you to see. I also believe that every human carries the image of God. God created Adam and Eve in the what? In our image, he said. Let's create man in our image. Every human being was created in the image of God. The imago Dei image. The image of divinity, divine. And all are God's offspring. Genos, family, kind, child. If you don't believe that, read Acts 17, which I have. And it says that stuff. Also that he is the father of every family named in heaven and earth. Also says that. And every human is his child. But until they believe it, they do not enjoy it. So they live in the pig pen like an orphan separated from God in their minds. Colossians 1. It's in their minds. Our message is what Paul called a mystery hidden from the ages, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And this is the line. So we preach to the sun in them and not the sin in them. That's our message. I'm preaching to the sun in you, not the sin in you. And I try to do that to everybody around me. Uh, yesterday, day, day before, the, the day before. I'm talking to one of the guys that I hang out with and play golf with, okay? I mean, these guys are all over the map, I'm telling you. And he said something. I said, you do understand how very much God loves you. In spite of everything, he loves you. He cares about you. 
That's fun. That's fun to tell them the good news that God's not holding their sins against them. Preach to the sun in them, not the sin in them. Now, let me ask you a question. Wouldn't it, isn't it, I've always thought that this is the case, that really one of the jobs that I have as a teacher is to take burdens off of people. I want you to come to church and feel burdens taken off, not put on. You got enough burdens on you without me putting them on you and without God putting them on you because he's not putting them on you. His message, the hope we have, he's taking them off. Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, burdened, I'll give you rest. I'm not going to add burdens, I'm going to take them off. I want to preach to the sun in you, not the sin in you. Okay, stand up and I'll pray for you. All that, my friends, will help you grow in grace, I think. It sure has me. And what I know is just, <laughs> there's a lot more, I guess. Well, Lord, I sure am happy to know you. Happy that somehow or other, <clears throat> I believed. I believed. Thank you that you hit the mark for us, Lord. That you remove sin from us as far as the east is from the west. Though they were as scarlet, they are white as snow. Though they appeared as crimson, they were really as wool, white as wool. Thank you, Lord, for that cleansing blessing. I pray, Lord, that help us, Lord, to see things a little differently that I guess that the joy of knowing you, Lord, can be more fully realized in all of us and that we can relax and that we can love you just because we love you. And we can love others just because you love others and care about them. That we can forget our religious ideas of what they ought to be and just speak to the son in them. And the daughter in them. Not the sin in them. But we love you, Lord, and we rejoice in who you've made us to be and who you are to us. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.